You hear that? This is a statement of fact. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. The title for episode 21 is Condemnation Lost and Christ Found. The theme is the consistency of Romans chapters 5 through 8 in telling the story of the Christian's victory over sin and freedom from condemnation. It is by faith in our identity in Christ that we are set free from the condemnation of the law by the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. Freedom is a really good thing and a great place to live. As always, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message, Condemnation Lost and Christ Found. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. We thank you, Father, for the plan of salvation, for the book that explains the plan. I thank you, Lord, for setting all of history in motion, for prophesying ahead of time what would take place and then, and then carrying it out. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to be sure of. My heart goes out right now to people who have been offended at the gospel. People who have been offended at false teachers who misrepresent the gospel. Lord, you said many stumbling blocks would come, but woe to the person by whom they come. And there are so many stumbling blocks in so many ways. We ask your Heavenly Father... We ask, Lord, that you would fulfill your will, sow the seed, reap the harvest, bring judgment, pour out your grace on the elect. Bring those who have been ordained to eternal life, bring them into the kingdom by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that we are all worthy of of punishment. We know that we're all born to Adam's race. Every last person deserves to go there. And we know in your, in your mercy, in your love, you sent your son to sacrifice himself so that some could be removed from the justice we all deserve. Help us, Lord, in some small way to understand these things. We believe them because you've said them and you are not you never lie. You are the source of truth. You hate lies. And so we acknowledge that these things will come to pass. They must come to pass because you are God and we are only mere men. Help us Lord to look at these things even now through your eyes, through the eyes of humble men and women, and children, if they listen. We ask that you would grant these things for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
So this is episode 21, and the title is Condemnation Lost, Christ Found. We'll be focusing primarily on Romans 7, 24, and 25, and then Romans 8, 1, and 2. Romans 7, 24, and 25 in the New American Standard says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Now paraphrasing this, which we did last time uh, according to the Greek text, and a more expansive definition of the words. We read in verse 24, beaten down and miserable from hardship as an individual, who can rescue me from this misery of soul? Verse 25, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It follows then, therefore, by concession that I, with my reasoning mind, am serving as a slave God's law, but Proceeding from what is not transformed by God's law, I forfeit what does not hit the target. Now, those are two fairly different meanings. They're the same kind of words, except for wretched and miserable, which some will say, well, they hold kind of the idea, but in today's vernacular, we really don't. Someone who's miserable is someone who's bearing a hardship. Someone who's wretched is someone who's wicked. And uh, it's he's not talking about someone who's, who's wicked and wretched and evil. He's talking about someone who's miserable from the hardship. It's a different idea. And so just to be consistent, I want us to go back if we, uh, as we can, to Romans chapter 7, the beginning of Romans chapter 7, which tells us fairly consistently and, and straightforward that in, in Romans chapter 7, what we have is this concept of, of marriage and what happens within a marriage, the two people are joined together uh, uh, by the law until death. And then death separates them. So in verse 3, he says, So then if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she be joined to another. Now, this very simple concept in this text, and the the concept is, is simply this. The context is that... A person is freed from the law of God uh, regarding marriage, uh, and being freed, they are not in sin because death has occurred. He then goes right on and says in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit. For God, And there's this identity fact. Where's our identity? Well, for the child of God, his identity is in Christ. Christ is the sacrificial lamb that took away his sins. He's the sacrificial 
lamb that's raised from the dead and in newness of life. And as he's raised in newness of life from the dead, so then he is no longer a sinner. That's all washed away by the blood. And he's, an, he's a new person. And in verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, big but now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the, of the spirit and not in allness of the letter. See, the, the newness of the spirit doesn't start in Romans chapter 8. It's right here in chapter 7. He's not starting some new chapter. It's not some new position and new place. It's all the same. When a person comes to Christ, whether you recognize it or not, he is in Christ. And as such, he is forgiven. He's in the spirit. He's born again, given a new heart, living under a new covenant. It's all new. So then in in verse 7 of chapter 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. God forbid. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Therefore, there is this whole element of being connected to the law, which is a taskmaster to bring us to Christ, showing us the evil in our heart. But when you become a Christian, we're not under the law anymore. So verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Sin is the issue, not the law. Big point that he makes in this portion of chapter 7. And this commandment, which was to result in life, which is what people see the law, or you keep it, you don't keep it, as a means of salvation, which is not what the law was about. The law was meant to reveal to men that they could never keep the law and they could never earn heaven, which is what it does. Even even more so, it kind of activates in the person to make the person work harder and fail more. Because in verse 11, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then verse 13, this climactic portion before entering into the 14 through 25, Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? And he goes back. May it never be. God forbid such a thing. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. And again, 13, when a, a person looks at it, because we know that studying the Bible in English, which is a translation, not in the Greek, It's kind of like looking at the Bible through a veil. And you have to actually look at the words as they were used in the the day in which they were used and understand their fuller meanings and their context and and the definitions of words. And and then it takes on a much fuller, richer, and more accurate meaning. And that's for the student of God. God is true to his word, and the word is his word. But to the student who takes it seriously... It, it, it takes on different colors and shades and shadows. And that's why it's study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, 14 through 25, there are these conflicts that take place, but the conflict is not clear 
uh, as it would appear in, in the English version. Rather, it is, as in the last two verses, which I read, 24 and 25, beaten down and miserable from hardship. There is a hardship. There is a, a miserable part of being a Christian. Because as a Christian, a person wants to live by the, the spirit of the living God. He wants to live a holy and righteous life, not through the law, which he's been freed from, but, but by the risen Lord, who can rescue you, me, who can rescue me from this misery of soul? As he concludes that verse, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. We are to live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And when our focus is on Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death that he died, putting to death the body in the flesh, in the flesh, in his own flesh, putting it into the grave, taking it as, a, as the, uh, the sacrifice that is sent out of the camp, taking the sins far away as the east is from the west, throwing them into the depths of the sin into the sea, where God's not going to remember them anymore. It follows then, therefore, by concession, that I, with my reasoning mind, am serving as a slave God's law. That's the person who's a born-again Christian. That's where he is before God. He, this, he wants to be a slave. He is God's slave. He sees God as Lord. And as Lord, he's master. And as master, that makes us the slave. And we're happy to do so because we understand our rightful place before a God who created us to begin with, that we didn't even have to exist. And then secondly, that he would die once we became his enemies, rebellious and sinful against him. And out of that love, we want to be enslaved to God and do whatever he says and to call him Lord. As many as believe in him, he, became, he gave them the authority to become sons of God. Those who call him Lord. But proceeding from what is not transformed, and here's the element, the proceeding from that which is not transformed is an element left of sin in us. And that's where the hardship arises. That's where the, the miserableness can, can develop when our faith is weak, when our prayer life is not to be seen, when that lack of prayer causes our faith to wither and die. And then we start to live in the flesh. And a person who lives in the flesh will be attached to the law because he's not living by faith and he'll be beaten down and broken and miserable and defeated. But So therefore, but proceeding from what is not transformed by God's law, that sinful part that remains, then we, are, we forfeit the good by missing the target. And that's what these words mean in the Greek in 24 and the end of 25. Going into chapter 8 and verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's when faith applies. When, when, when faith is supplied, when a person walks by faith and focuses on Jesus Christ, what happens? Well, then his identity is found in Christ again. Therefore, there's no condemnation. How could there be condemnation when Jesus Christ suffered and died and took the sins away? There is no condemnation when a person understands the sufferings of Christ. When he was beaten, when you read Isaiah 53, he has no stately form or majesty 
that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him, in verse 2. Why? Well, because he was scourged and the skin was ripped right off of him. Continuing in verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. After Jesus is rejected by men, which is inconsequential compared to the wrath that he would face by a holy and perfect God when understanding the nature of sin, meditating on these facts, we begin to we begin to draw close to the heart of God that is willing to suffer a fate that would take a person in eternity. And Jesus took it on the cross. Because he's God, he's eternal. I can't comprehend it. You can't understand it. But the fact is it's true because it's written in God's word. And because it is written in God's word and it is true, we need to take it to heart. We need to understand what Christ did on the cross on our behalf. And when we do, and then we read a verse like Romans chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When a person finds their identity, when they are identified with Christ in the mind and heart of God, and we take that as fact through faith, then we understand that there is no condemnation. When we approach the pearly gates, as it's known, it's not fiction, it's not some fairy tale, it's an actual gate in the New Jerusalem. And in the New New Jerusalem, with its two sets of gates on each wall, four walls making up the New Jerusalem, to go in, it's a pearl. Why a pearl? Because a pearl is that irritation that begins in an oyster, and the oyster secretes that white substance that then begins to cover the pearl. And in time, actually makes it dissipate, just disappear. And so the white representing the righteous and holiness of Almighty God and that righteousness covering the sin and actually dissolving away, it doesn't exist anymore. It's a beautiful picture of salvation, of redemption, of the forgiveness of God, the love of God. Now in this possession, in in this verse, usually people come out of 7, 14, 25 condemned with a a negativity about salvation, which I'm just a sinner and I can't do anything about it and I'm just despised and I'm wretched and I'm wicked. And that's really not what's going on in chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. It's really not. Is sin there? Does sin you look humongous in the eyes of a person that wants to be obedient and wants Christ's forgiveness, and wants to be living a holy life. Yes, it can look very big like that. But that will lead to a defeated life. I'm not in any way advocating that any person should make light of sin, or should lessen sin in any way. If anything, we should always live a life that is confessing sin, as in 1 John chapter 1. When sin is real, when it's actual when it's what it what it is 
And any little sin is humongous to a person who doesn't want to sin at all. And all sin is that way in the eyes of a holy and perfect God. But we need to look at ourselves not because we want to look at ourselves as sinners because we sin, but we want to look at ourselves as God says we are in Romans 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Because, and, and all other parts of the, the New Testament, because when a person looks at himself the way God sees him, though he's sin and he wants to confess sin and he wants to recognize it, and that's a beautiful thing, we also understand that there's a victorious cycle that we want to be part of. We don't want to sin. If you don't want to sin, then don't look at yourself through the eyes of the devil. Look at yourself through the eyes of God. And you will see that there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's that say? No condemnation. That's not a wretched person. That's not a wicked, evil, demonic demon that's only out to destroy God and ruin his kingdom and ruin his church and sin and sin and sin. That's not what that says. What that says is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now that's not just justification whereby on the books of law, God looks at the books which will be open one day, and on the one books the slate is clean because Christ died for those. And so that's a legal matter. It's an accounting matter. Uh, this goes on beyond the accounting of there is no now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This goes on to for the law of the spirit of life. That's law as a principle. That's like gravity. You, you walk on earth and it holds you down. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the gravity that holds us down. It's the one that keeps us from being holy. It's the one that demands that we, we sin. It's the law of sin and of death. It leads to death. But there's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets you free from the law of sin and of death. Sets you free. Free is a good thing. Free is not bound with chains that you have to sin. Sin is like the airplane that because of the, the law of, of drag and lift, it's able to get into the air and rise above the earth, and it's, it's free like a bird. You set those wings out there, and you're gliding on high. Why? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a law of God as well. It's a law like gravity only. It's a law that sets you free from the law of gravity. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be free. Why? Because when you're free from the law of sin, now you're living a holy life. I don't have to do those things. I don't have to walk down those aisle, that aisle and look at those pictures. I don't have to pick up that book and, I, and, and go through these romance novels the way uh, women intend to do. Whatever, wherever the sin is in emotions or it's physical, wherever it is, don't have to go there. I don't have to idolize the car. I don't have to idolize the career. The career. I don't have to be an idolater. I don't have to be covetous. I don't have to be jealous. I don't have to do all the sins that aggravate God, that irritate God, that displease God. I don't have to do that. Why? Because I am set free by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He set me free from the law of sin and of death. Now, do we believe that? 
Do we live there? Well, it, it does take a life of prayer because where there is no prayer, there is no faith. And this life cannot be lived apart from faith. Faith alone claims the promise of God. See, this is, this is even more than a, f- a f- promise. And as great as promises are. And the Bible is full of promises. But this is a statement of fact. You hear that? This is a statement of fact. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word in shows up in every single phrase in Ephesians chapter 1. You want to know what you are? How you've received every possible spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? That's where God exists. That's where God does things. And when he does things, he does it in Christ, through Christ, putting us into Christ. And in Christ, we are in this in we in that in that preposition we there's no condemnation it's forgiven it's forgotten it's done away with it's a statement of fact just as surely as there is a law like the law of dragon lift of the spirit of life not death doesn't lead to death it's not wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death Well, it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. He's carrying on a message which existed all through Romans 6, all through Romans 7, and into Romans 8. Now, the misery of Romans 7 that we've gone over two times before is the misery that there is sin left behind. And if you allow the devil, by not spending sufficient time in prayer, to claim these promises, to understand that these promises were given for a reason, and it wasn't to condemn us. That's why the sin was given. That once a person comes to Christ, he's given promises not to condemn, but to set us free. To set you free. Free not to sin. That's right. I know that's like a name it, claim it thing. No, it's not. It's a promise in the scripture for that reason. It's a statement of fact in the scripture for that purpose. To set you free. And I'm going to repeat this and repeat this and repeat this. Because we are people who are hard pressed. Because we live in a ba- on a battlefield. And the battlefield is filled with enemy personalities that are demonic. They're real persons. They're in the scripture. From, you see them in the garden. You see them in the book of Job. You see them throughout the prophets. You see these all throughout the scriptures. And then they explode in the gospels. And then they go on from the gospels into the epistles, to the churches, general, Pauline, all of these epistles that expose the devil, whether he comes as a roaring lion or, or uh, an angel of light. He comes to do evil. He comes to destroy. He has animosity and anger and evil like you cannot imagine because he's not a human being. He's, he's an angelic being. And the greater in power and intelligence and wisdom And all they do is evil. They hate God with a hatred even humanity can't understand. And I'm bringing this up right now at this juncture because if you feel beaten down because of Romans 7, 14 to 25, I want you to be free because I want you to spend much time in Romans 5 and 6 and 7 
and 8. Because in all of those chapters, you have statements of fact, you have freedom, you have dead uh, as in a marriage relationship that you're freed from the law. You have you no know, condemnation in Christ. There's freedom, 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 freedom. We want to stay close to the cross and we want to stay close on, on our knees before God, which means we want to humble ourselves before God so that we're quick to confess sin. And as quick as we are to confess sin, we see the blood of the cross. It washes away not only, not only the sin, but the guilt along with it. So that, so that, not that we can justify ourselves before God, but so that we understand we have been justified by the blood of Christ. And in that justification, there is freedom through this law of the spirit of life. It's the resurrected life of Christ. He did that for our holiness right here and right now. He wants us to live. And if we don't live here, and if you're listening to this and you should be a pastor of a church, if you are not hearing this, if you're not listening, if you're not paying attention, if you're not claiming the promise, if you're not claiming the statement of fact, you know what's going to happen? The devil's going to take and twist your mind just like he did Peter. And Peter's going to grab hold of, of Jesus and he's going to tell him, this will never happen to you. You are never going to go to the cross. When that was the way of death. That was the way of self-sacrifice. It was the way of breaking the bondage of sin. It was the thing that gave the church its power to, to evangelize the authority of Christ to do everything we were meant to do. How did we get from one place to the other? Because if you don't fight the devil on his ground and living a holy life, you will be deceived in more ways than you can understand and you're going to be teaching things that people don't need to hear and will be stumbling blocks. And you know what? It would be better that a millstone were tied around your neck and you were cast into the depth of the sea rather than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Don't be that kind of a pastor. Don't be the kind of a pastor who doesn't believe in demons and preach against them and pray against them and lead your church in victory in this battle that's here, whether you're going to recognize it or not. It's all through the New Testament. You can't escape it. It's an explosion in the epistles, in the Gospels, and it's no less in the epistles. All you have to do is read it. They're there. They're in the chapters. They're in the verses. They're in the words. And it's a fight. And it's a fight that we need to win. And it's a fight we need to win because... Because Jesus Christ deserves the reward of his sufferings. This isn't to, to beat one another on who's right or who's wrong. This is to beat the devil because Jesus deserves us to live that kind of a life. Let's live that kind of a life to the glory of God, to the pleasure of the Father, to the pleasure of the Son, to the pleasure of the Holy Spirit. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit by believing lies. If you buy into a lie, you are now controlled by the person who told you that lie. So when people say things that are not true, things like demons can't control Christians, can sin control the Christian? People are more than willing to read Romans 7, 14 to 25 in English and believe that they're wretched and wicked and they have to do evil. So you can be controlled by sin, but you can't be controlled by Satan. Really? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Believe the lie like Eve did, 
and you'll bring sin and defeat in your life like nobody's business. It'll be the devil's business, and he'll do his business. Or you can believe the truth, that therefore is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You're freed from the law. You're free to do what's right. You're free to defeat the devil. You're free to pray. You can spend an hour, two hours in prayer. You can get together with others. The time will fly by like you can't believe if you get on your knees and you begin by praising, considering the sacrifice of Christ, consider the glory of the Father and offering His Son. Give praise on top of praise. Share it with others. And then go into thanksgiving. And then go into intercession for others. Confess your sins one to another. You'll be set free. And end in the glory of God. Intercede for the world. Intercede for the church. Intercede for pastors. Intercede for one another. I mean, we need to be doing this. And when we do it, we'll energize our faith. And then you can claim the promise is that God wants us to have the facts that he wants to be our own. Taken in our heart. Do this for Jesus' sake, and in the end you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. That's the one that really matters. It's the word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even to the joint marrow of the bone as a discerner of both the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the Word that does everything for us. It's the Word through which the Holy Spirit works. It's the Word that reveals Christ. It's the Word that sets us free from the law of sin and of death. Because when it becomes a part of our heart, we know this, Lord. When it becomes a part of our thinking, it, be, it becomes a principle that's living within us. Then that truth is, it sets Christ free in our heart to do what He wants to do. It sets us free from the bondage of the devil. Lord, take this word that we're speaking in this short time and stumbling through it. Take this word and magnify it in the minds and hearts of the hearers. Set them free to live a holy and godly life. And at the end, hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.